Corinthians chapter 5. He passes on this concept. We didn't touch on it too much. But he says, and he's giving us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean in layman's terms? What is the ministry of reconciliation? It sounds like a big thing, right? It sounds like, and it is a big thing in a lot of ways. But it sounds like it's something because it's got a lot of big words. But it's really actually pretty simple. I'll give you my definition. It's this, is that we as believers, we as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to share what we've been freely given. So what have we been freely given? We have a responsibility to share that with the people around us. We've been freely given the message of grace, the message of hope, the goodness of God, the great news of Jesus. That's the message that we have. The, great, the, the, the gospel wrapped up in a nutshell is how awesome Jesus really is. Uh, not so much, not that we deserved Christ, I'm not saying that, but how he freely gave us salvation, how he freely took our place on the cross, how he freely uh, raises us to new life. We do this not in a vacuum. We don't do life in the vacuum. We don't do this ministry of reconciliation in a vacuum either. If you you know, we had uh, quite the... We had quite the process going on in our kitchen yesterday. I wasn't too much of it other than passing through, but uh, Tammy and Michaela were canning pretty much anything that would fit in a jar yesterday. Uh, pickles, beans, dilly beans. I think there were some carrots in there. Was there some carrots? Yeah. Dill, dill, were, you, were they dill pickle carrots? Yeah, all right, there we go. In that whole process, though, is, is this whole idea of a vacuum, that it's sealed up. And we don't do the ministry of reconciliation, we don't do life, we don't do a Christian walk, in this idea of, of being in a vacuum, doing it all alone. Do it in, solid, in uh, solitude. God's designed us to do this as a team. We do this, we share this ministry of reconciliation, we share this message of hope of Christ as a team. And God's designed His church to operate that way as a unit. As a family is one of the main characteristic models that we'll find in the scriptures. Is that we're God's family. That we're in harmony together with one goal. And that's simply this. God's glory. We have one singular goal. And everything fits inside of that. And that's God's glory. Everything points to that focus as we represent God here on earth. So that's why Paul wrote there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He wrote these verses as he closed out that chapter. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Notice the language. We are ambassadors for Christ. He wasn't talking about just him and his group. He's talking about all believers. We're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's the reason why. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What gives God glory? Uh, Two things that I wrote down. Sinners being reconciled or reunited in relationship with God. That gives God glory. When when people come to to trust in Him, when people come to put their faith in Christ, when they come to understand who who Christ is, and and, and they make that transition that the Holy Spirit comes inside of them and makes that transition and flips them upside down, that is exactly what... Uh, Mary is sharing that happened in Portland last night and, and we're praying that happens in Seattle tonight that many make that transition that they hear this word hey, that Jesus died for you right? he paid your sin debt, debt 
so you can get off of this planet alive, spiritually. You can get off of it. There's only one way to get off of this planet, spiritually alive, and that's in Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's the message of reconciliation. That message and that action that people take, that's what gives God's glory. And the second part of that is that men, women, and children who are in a right relationship because they're in right relationship with Christ, they're obviously in right relationship with God the Father because they trust in Jesus. That gives God glory, right? We're going to flip the page to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. and uh, I'll get there. I invite you to get there. It'll be up on the screen if you didn't bring a Bible. But uh, surely we'd like you guys to all be looking in your own Bible. An aspect of this whole idea of giving God glory is this, is that we live our lives completely, <clears throat> we live open lives. In other words, we're open uh, to what God is doing and live completely to, uh, in the work of the Holy Spirit as He lives and moves in us and shares that gospel message truth. Paul demonstrates this uh, uncommon openness, if you will, and union with God as he continues to encourage the Corinthians. So that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 6. Let's look at the first few verses together. Second Corinthians chapter 6. We then as workers together with him also plead with you, <clears throat> plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is an acceptable time, Paul says. Behold, now is the day of salvation. First point I want to make as we go through this chapter is, is that Paul is, Paul is, he's got one thing on his mind in a sense. He's got an avenue of communication that he's trying to get across. And, and what he's trying to accomplish here is he is trying, Paul is influencing them by making a simple point based on actually these verses that you see that are, in parentheses there, they're based on, they're out of Isaiah chapter 49. What Paul's saying is simply this, today's the day to embrace God. Today's the day to embrace God. And if you've never embraced God, today's that day for you. That God is calling out to you, that God is saying, hey, hey, I want you over here. I want you to trust in me. I want you to put your faith in me. I'm going to provide eternal life. I'm going to provide a brand new life for you here, a new spiritual DNA, but today's the day to trust in me. And that's what Paul's saying, and he quotes Isaiah 49 in that. And there's some pieces, if you look deeper into Isaiah 49, there's four things out of that. Let's read through, I'll read through Isaiah 49, verses 8 and 9. It says, thus says the Lord, Isaiah's prophesying here, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you, I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages that you may <clears throat> say to the prisoners, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves that they shall feed along the roads and their pastures shall be on the desolate heights. That's kind of an expanded version. Paul just takes a little piece of it. But in that extent, extent expanded version there's kind of four points that that we need to embrace god we need to embrace god for salvation obviously and we encourage everyone to do that and we encourage our neighbors and people around us and people we work with and so on and so forth 
But there's an idea that God not only will save us, but he's going to preserve you. So a lot of times it's hard to put our trust in somebody or something that we can't see, that, we, that, is, that is not tangible in that sense. Who's flown a kite before? Raise your hand. Anybody flown a kite? Oh, come on. Oh, you old, everybody used to fly a kite. Nobody flies a kite anymore, right? Did you see the wind that was holding the kite up? But did you trust that wind to fly the kite? Sure you did. Sure I did, right? Same sort of a thing. There's an idea that uh, God will preserve. He'll steady you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people. And here's the reason why. To restore the earth. Goes clear back to Genesis and the fall of man and those that that first commission, if you will, that God gave to Adam and Eve. Their role, their responsibility that was then broken and marred by sin, that was made harder by sin, right? Uh, I get it. I'm in the I'm out in the fields all the time. I see the weeds. <laughs> Ladies at garden, you see the weeds. Right? In the Garden of Eden it wasn't that way. There was no weeds. Right? But Isaiah's saying, and Paul's saying, in a sense, that by embracing God, that there's this aspect of restoration. And then, of course, there's the presentation, the sharing part of it in verse 9. That you may go to the prisoners, say to them, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. And that's part of this whole ministry of reconciliation. There's no chapter breaks in the original. He's continuing one thought. And saying, this is our message. And this is our message. To go to those people that are bound up. To go, think of your own story before you became a believer. Looking back now, however long it was, you can say something similar to this. I was in bondage. I was like the Israelites in Egypt. I was bound to sin. I was struggling with this. I was struggling with that. And guess what happened? When I came to faith in Christ, when I see who he was, when I, when I sensed his draw and him, him calling me out, I'm set what? I was set free. And that's our message of reconciliation. That's that ministry of reconciliation. That's the poster part of it. To embrace God, to be set free. To be set free. The second thing I wanted to talk about today was this, is that Paul recounts what they've endured to maintain the purity of their influence in the churches. Paul is relentlessing, relentlessly, excuse me, he is relentlessing, relentlessly influencing the people that he comes in contact with for God, towards Christ. And so he recounts this idea of what he's endured to maintain the purity of that influence. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry might not be blamed. In other words, he's saying we're, we're, we're blameless. Verse 4 says, But in all things we command ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. I'm going to read that out of my Bible because the printer screwed up. In stripes beatings, being whipped, is what he's talking about, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, and by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness, 
on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well known, <clears throat> as dying yet behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrow yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. I was sharing, uh, I didn't share yesterday at men's breakfast, but I did share this part of this passage, is that this is probably one, Paul's known to be a list maker, right? We have all these different lists, and we have all that he writes in the epistles. He's known to be a list maker. Uh, my guess was, and I shared this yesterday morning with the guys that were here for men's breakfast, was this is his least known list. Least known list. Because it talks about these marks of ministry, the things that he went through, the things that he endured blamelessly so that he could maintain that influence in the churches. That he could share the gospel, that he could disciple believers, that he could raise up future pastors and leaders. And so he recounts these ideas. He goes on to say, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our hearts, our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. He starts in now in a little bit of a warning. A little bit of a, here's where the tension is. He says, I, we've come blameless. We've suffered all these things, but here's where the tension is for you. Here's where the tension is for you, and it's in your heart. And it's true, that same dynamic is true for us. Our tensions are always in our heart, right? And he's saying our hearts are wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Verse 13 says, Now in return for the same, I speak to you as children, you also be open. Learn from my example. Pick up my example and say, hey, be wide open. Be transparent. I ask a couple of people this week, when I say, when I read this sentence, what do you think of? There's kind of two main areas of life that they think of. Because the next verse is often quoted, but it's usually restricted to just two areas of life. Paul says in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I asked a couple of people, and they said, uh, means you shouldn't marry an unbeliever. I said, that's right. But the context in here is not about marriage. It's a true concept. It's a true truth. And I said, anything else? Typically, guys, and I shared this idea, guys are usually, uh, when they hear this idea, don't be you yoke together with an unbeliever they'll take that to mean in business which I think is a, a wise uh, biblical truth Paul says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part of a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them, 
and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul is weighing in in a huge way, a huge way with all the influence that he has to encourage the Corinthian believers to be cautious about who's influencing them. He's, he's talking about both sides of the influential coin. On one, hand, on one hand, he wants to be their influence. And he is their influence. On the other hand, he's saying, be careful, who else? So be careful, who else? is influencing you. And he asked five rhetorical questions here. Five rhetorical questions that he asked. What fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness? Uh, if you're not sure what a rhetorical question is, it's kind of a no-brainer. That's my definition. Uh, what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Five distinct areas where we're called in a certain way. Let's look at the first one, fellowship. We're called to come together as a family, enjoy, enjoy each other's company, right? We're called to come together to enjoy one another's fellowship with one another's company. Communion, we're called to have a closeness and an openness in Christian relationships. That's why we say that Sunday is not sufficient for your Christian growth. That we all know that if you only ate one meal a week, that you would probably get sick in a short time. It's just not practical. It's not good for your body. Right? So we need to get out of rows, out of rows on Sunday, and into small groups, into discipleship classes, into ministry with one another, where you can have the closeness and the openness that Paul's talking about. We're called the idea of accord. What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is just simply another word for meaning evil. It's just a, an Old Testament word that means evil. So what, is, what, what connection is there between Jesus and evil? There is no connection. It's a rhetorical question. Right? But when you look at the word accord, we're talking about harmony. What harmony is there? As we go through this list, I would encourage us to think about those people that are influential in our lives and do they fit through this filter? We're called to be a part of something bigger. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? We're all parts. We're all parts and pieces of something much bigger, the body of Christ. So we're all just a piece of that. And how can we take one part of that and then attach it to something, someone who is not a believer? Because the people that we're around will be influential in our lives. They say that typically the, the, the five closest friends that you have will be, they will be that influential point, so to speak, person to person in your life. And, and, and you will assimilate into them. So who's imparting into your life? Who's imparting into my life? How does that influence then fit through this filter when Paul says, don't be yoked with an unbeliever? 
And are we receiving that influence more than we should? Right? It's a good question. The last question, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And we're to be in covenant relationship with one another. We're to covenant with one another. That's the type of relationship that should define the Christian church as a covenant, that we're doing life together, right? That we're, that we're engaged in one another's lives in that sense, and there's that freedom to speak into one another's lives. There's that uh, freedom to receive the word of truth, receive the influence from one another. But as Christians, we're called to, 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 to be influential in our culture for sure. 2 Corinthians 6 can really be summed up in two ways. We're called to be open, vulnerable, influential, and transparent in relationships inside the community of believers. But we're also commanded to resist the influence coming from the world. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 13 says, Paul says this, Hey, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. I, shared, I always share this next verse with my kids, Proverbs 13, 20. It's probably one of my favorite. Uh, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Right? He who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. So you don't have to be in the driver's seat, so to speak, to suffer harm. You just have to be around it. You just have to be close. Paul knew really clearly who you spend the most time with, who you're listening to, who you're emulating, who you're taking your cues from, etc., will be the most influential in your life. And that will affect your spiritual growth, either for the good or for the bad. You'll either be growing because of people's good influence in your life, or you'll be shrinking back because of uh, people's bad influence in your life. So we gear up to close in worship. I'm just going to ask these three questions. Do you have that strong Christian brothers and sisters in your circle of influence? Are you part of someone's inner circle? Many of us are not. Are you part of someone's inner circle influencing them towards the kingdom of God? So the first question is about people influencing you. Do you have those strong Christian brothers and sisters in your circle of influence? And are you part of someone else's inner circle influencing them toward the kingdom of God? And are you, as Paul stated, are you restricted by your affections and thus struggle to be open-hearted toward others? Are you restricted by your affections? We need to analyze our affections. See if they're holding us back in some sort of a way. Are we fearful? Are we, are we withdrawn? Are we just, just not going to go there because we've been hurt too many times in the past? Are you restricted by your affections? Have you walled up around yourself and thus struggling to be open-hearted towards others? So the worship team comes up. I'll go ahead and pray now and then Tiffany can close after the last song. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, that you call us 
both to be influential, but also to be guarded about who's influencing us. We pray that, Father, in this fellowship and the fellowships up and down this valley and around in this area, Lord, that uh, people would be growing in their faith. They would be grouping up, receiving instruction, receiving encouragement, receiving discipleship, that they would be uh, being nurtured in their faith, as Colossians say, that they would be rooted and built up. Lord, they would do that in, in community of believers, not in isolation, not in a vacuum. You call us to do life in community. Lord, help us to be on guard of, of the influences that, that are bombarding us daily, moment by moment the influences of our culture, the influences of, of the non-believers around us. Lord, that we wouldn't uh, be given to that mentality. We wouldn't be given to that line of thought and, and influence. That we wouldn't be yoked. It's not just about, it is about who we marry and it is about who we're in business with but it's about who we're receiving guidance from as well. And if it doesn't fit through your filter, Father, it shouldn't fit through ours. If it doesn't line up with your word, we just pray that you would embolden us and, and, and strengthen us then to, to be able to discern where that message is coming from, what the roots of those messages are. And then not to receive it as influence, that it would affect our thinking, that it would affect our faith, that it would affect our worldview. But rather turn that into a motiv motivation to be influential. Rather turn that into the message of hope that we're called to share, the message of truth of the gospel that we're called to share. that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, and that those around us would know clearly who you are. And Lord, it's their choice whether they're going to accept you or reject you. We pray for those opportunities to be influential. For each one that's here today, that throughout this coming week, Lord, there would be ordained moments and divine appointments spread throughout this sanctuary where we have opportunity to be influential for you. We look forward to those. We look forward to, to, to embracing those. Lord, sometimes it's scary. It's scary to think about uh, talking to somebody. Won't you give us strength in our, in our inner man in that moment? to be honest and share what you've done in our own lives. As we turn to continue to worship you, Father, speak to us in this moment. We thank you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.